0: Crossroads Live. My name is Matt Manning, and I am the senior pastor here at Crossroads. And it is so uh, exciting for you to be with us, wherever you may be joining uh, with us today. We are so thankful uh, that we get to come together during this hour and engage our minds, engage our hearts, lift our voices in worship to God. If you are brand new with us, I want to say welcome to you. Uh, my prayer is is that over the next hour that this would be an hour that inspires you to check out more about Jesus, to even come back next week. If you have your Bible. I would love for you to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 8. It's where we're going to be today uh, as we continue our series in the gospel of Luke. Now, if you are brand new to kind of the Bible and all of that, Luke is just one of the four accounts of Jesus's life uh, that we find in the scriptures. And we've been walking through kind of the middle section of this gospel of Luke, really with the whole premise of this series being discovering and investigating the life of Jesus, considering the life of Jesus in such a way that we're able to answer kind of the big questions that we we have when it comes to Jesus and some of those big questions are, are when it comes to Jesus's teachings are they really true and if they are true how is it that we're to respond or when it comes to to who Jesus was like what made Jesus so significant in his life why is he considered one of the most influential people in all of human history I mean what does it truly mean to know Jesus And the reason that we're answering those questions and even asking those questions is because ultimately we want each and every one of us to be able to decide for ourselves whether Jesus is worth following and whether he's worth giving our lives to, whether he is all that he says that he is. And so one of the great promises, actually, in the book of Luke is that as we give our lives to the life of Jesus, as we investigate the claims of Jesus, as we we look to the life of Jesus, that one of the things that comes to us, Luke tells us, is certainty. That we have certainty in this world that, that God is with us. And so there's no better way to discover the answers to those questions than to simply open the book and to look at those questions directly, to look at the life of Jesus and to discover for ourselves who he is and what he is all about. And so today we're going to look at one of the most famous stories of Jesus in fact even if you are not like a church person or a spiritual person then then this story is probably one that you've heard somewhere in our culture before that when it comes to this story if you grew up in the church you probably heard this story when you were like like just a small like like person in Sunday school, right? And in that, as a small person, you learn this on flannel graph, all right? That this, is, that this is such a famous story of Jesus that it appears not just in Luke's gospel, but also in Mark and in Matthew's gospels. And the story that we're looking at today is really a teaching that Jesus gives in that week. what we call is a parable. We call it a parable. Now, when it comes to parables, there was very rarely a time where Jesus taught that he didn't use parables. And so for us, I just want to take a few moments to explain what the parables are all about because it, because it helps us as we walk through the life of Jesus to understand what parables were all about, what they meant, why Jesus used them, to help us understand clearly what Jesus wants us to see in them. And so when it comes to a parable, a parable is really just a simple story that makes a spiritual point. That's what a parable is. It's that simple. A parable of Jesus is a simple story that makes a spiritual point. Now, oftentimes when we talk about parables, uh, we, try and we, we tend to think of them with our, or see them through our Western eyes as like moral, morality tales. Morality tales like Aesop's fables, if, if you're familiar with that work. Morality tales are really like these stories that, we, that we're told when we're kids. And there's a moral to the stories, right? We're taught that we're, we're to find the good character and that we're to, to learn from that good character and be like that good character. And then we're to find the bad in the story, the, maybe the bad character, and avoid that and avoid the bad character. That That's morality tales. The Greeks actually made morality tales famous during kind of in classical literature and uh, during that Greek time and the most famous of all the morality tales actually comes out of Aesop's fables with the tortoise and the hare. If, if you remember the story of the tortoise and the hare, wherever you're at, you can just raise your hand and yeah, you know the story of the tortoise and the hare. Now the moral of the story when it comes to the tortoise and the hare is that slow perseverance, that perseverance wins the day, that perseverance wins the race. If you remember the story, there's there's the story of the tortoise and the hare, and they are in a race together. And so the tortoise is slow and persevering step by step in the race. The hare is this like frantic, hyperactive bunny that runs, stops, runs, stops, runs, falls asleep, right? And as we walk through the, the story of the tortoise and the hare, the great moral of the story is that perseverance wins, that the slow tortoise wins the day. So be like the tortoise. And not like the cute, hyperactive bunny, right? I mean, that's the story we grew up learning about when it came to morality tells. So, what we typically end up doing unintentionally when it comes to the parables of Jesus is that we try to treat them and understand them like they're morality tells. Yet the problem is, is that they're not really morality tells. They're simple stories that are making a spiritual point, See, what happens for us is that when we try to teach or try to to, to look at the parables as a morality tale, what we end up doing is, is getting in our place, getting into places of, of hardship, like when it comes to Luke chapter 16. That Luke chapter 16, if you're not familiar with the story, that Jesus shares this parable about this dishonest manager, that he is this like evil crook. But he's shrewd in the way that he deals with people. And so Jesus shares this story of this, of this shrewd crook. And then at the end of the story, he looks at his disciples and he says, learn from that guy. And we look at that through, through the eyes of like a, a morality tale and we go, what in the world? <laughs> like, like, how are we to understand that? Jesus, are you like asking us to be a crook? Like, like that's the way that we try to try to understand that, and then we take that bigger and we go, how do we teach the morality of that to our kids, like in Sunday school? Like we can't do it, we can't do it, and the reason that we can't do it is because that story isn't a, mor- a morality tale; it's a it's a simple story that's making a spiritual point. Now. Like I said, that story trips a lot of people up, so I don't wanna leave you hanging. When it comes to the dishonest manager in Luke chapter 16, the point that Jesus is making is don't be a crook, but rather be shrewd. The whole parable is about being shrewd. And Jesus, he uses the example of, of this crook, and he says when you're a crook, you have to be able to, to size up the situation. You have to be able to be, be able to look for opportunity. You have to figure out how you can leverage this space for your advantage. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, wouldn't it be awesome if my people, if my disciples were shrewd for the kingdom of God, sizing up every opportunity for God's glory, looking at every circumstance as a way to leverage it for God's kingdom like the crook does for his own advantage? See, it's not a morality tale. It's a simple story that's making a spiritual point. So now that we understand parables a little bit, let's jump into the story here. Luke gives us a story in chapter 8, verse 4, and he starts it with this. And there was a great crowd that was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, that's Jesus, and he spoke to them in a parable. Now, let's pause there for a moment. There's this huge crowd that's gathering, and they're gathering there not because they're here to hear Jesus teach. They're not gathering to hear a teaching from Jesus. Now, to be sure, these people are gathering because of Jesus, but they're not gathering out of, out, of, out of affirmation for Jesus. That sometimes when we read the scriptures and we see large crowds gathering around Jesus, that automatically we start to think that this is affirmation. This isn't the case here. That people are gathering around Jesus, but not because of the way that we think or the way that we first read this passage. See, the crowd is gathering out of controversy. And everyone that's there, and there are thousands of people in this situation, In this moment, out of all the people that are gathered there, they're all asking the very same questions. What is Jesus going to do? And what is Jesus going to say? Now... All of this goes back to Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus shows up at his hometown in Nazareth, and he makes this huge declaration that the reason that he came, the reason that he's starting his ministry, is ultimately so that he can proclaim the good news to the poor. Now, when Jesus uses the word word poor, it's the Greek word that literally means poor, like, like those who have no financial ability. But it's also a word that's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. It also means those who are on the outcasts of society, those who are living on the fringes, those who are down and out, those who have nothing to offer society. That's the poor. That's the poor. And so after Jesus makes this, this grand proclamation, what happens next is that he goes out into the world and he shows us what it means, what it means to live this out, what it means to bring the good news to the poor. And so immediately he, he goes out and he brings healing to a man who's demon-possessed. Now, get this, in this time and in this culture, that this is as far away, that this man was as far away, literally as far away as one could be from God. He's broken, he's lonely, he's living out on the fringes, demon-possessed, and, and Jesus brings healing to him. After this, Jesus goes, and he brings the good news to women. He brings them to women. Now, remember in this time, during this time in culture, women were nothing more than commodities. They were trade and bartered. They were sold. That that was their value in society. About 12 cows. They were nothing in society. And Jesus goes to Peter's mother-in-law and he begins to, to heal her. And then he goes to a woman, a widow, who had no man in her life, and he raises her son from the dead. And then he goes to a prostitute, a woman in the night, and he forgives her. After this, Jesus goes and he goes to those who are who are physically, who have physical ailments. He goes to the, to the ones who were, who were considered poor, and the reason that the physical people who had physical ailments were considered poor is because according to Old Testament law, that if you had anything wrong with you, anything at all wrong with you, any physical ailment, that you were considered ceremonial unclean, which means that you could not worship in the temple, which was the center of society of, of Jewish custom. And so you were not able to, to be a part of that. And so if you had any physical ailments, that you were pushed to the fringes of society, and anyone who came near you and touched you, that automatically you then were now unclean if you touched them. And you had to go through all of these rites of passage to become clean yourself. That these were people who, who were literally on the outskirts of society, and Jesus comes and he heals a leper, and then a paralytic. And then after that, he, he heals a man with a withered hand. After all of this is happening, he he goes to to those who are kind of the downs and outs in society, the simpletons, to the fishermen, and he calls them as his disciples. Not the religious elites, not for the up-and-comers in society, not the who's who of of the community, but to the simpletons, to the fishermen, to those who had been passed over in this world. And he says, you come And you follow me. And then Jesus, he one-ups himself. He goes to Matthew, the tax collector, a traitor of Israel. And he says, why don't you come too and be my disciple? That time and time again, through these four chapters, Luke shows us over and over again what it means for the good news to come to the poor What it looks like for the good news to to be proclaimed to the people who who are down and out, pushed to the fringes of society, living on the outskirts, who had nothing to offer the poor. And while all of this is happening, speculation is running rampant in the culture. I mean, everybody's wondering, is this the Messiah? Is this really the one that we've been waiting for? Is this the Savior? Is this the one that's spoken about in the Old Testament? And as all of that speculation is happening all over the place... You have the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the scribes, trying to discredit Jesus at every single moment. See, they had no room for for their antics, for Jesus' antics. No room whatsoever that he was ultimately messing with with the way that they understood the Old Testament law and even more than that, he was messing with their lifestyle, which had made them very, very powerful in their culture. And if that wasn't enough... During this time, Jesus' own family starts to question his sanity. His mother and his brothers begin to wonder if if Jesus is literally losing his mind. The tension is, is huge. And as all of that is going on, it's out of all of that that's going on that the crowds gather on this day. And the 12 disciples must have been like, like, this is it. Like, this is the grand moment that Jesus is going to use this rally to proclaim that he is the Messiah. I mean, come on. Conventional wisdom says when big crowds are here, you go all in. And the disciples in this moment, they're thinking, Jesus, just declare yourself as the Messiah, the son of David, the rightful king of Israel. And you lead this crowd, you lead these people into Jerusalem and you claim your crown and liberate the people from Rome. Like, this is your moment. And it's with all of that tension, all of that speculation, all of that excitement, all of that controversy, that we stand in this moment. And Jesus looks out at the crowd, and he shares with them a parable, verse 5. He says, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on rock and it grew up and it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and it choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things and he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? What, what is meant by this? So remember the situation. This huge crowd, thousands of people have, have gathered around Jesus. And he shares with them a story. A story. I mean, can you imagine if one of our political candidates right now our presidential candidates right now got up at a rally and just shared a story like this? Like thousands of people have gathered to see them speak. And they stand up and they go, let me just tell you a story there was once this farmer and he was sowing some seeds and, and as he threw seeds, he, he threw some into the ditch or into the path and, and, and it withered away and, and others he, he threw into, into the rocks and it had no water and so it died and he threw others into the thistles and it had no chance of growing, but some of that seed, it, it actually landed in good soil and it grew. For those who have ears, let them hear and then just walks off the stage Like his political manager, his advisor, he would be going nuts. He'd be like, what did you just do? That you had a prime opportunity that thousands have gathered and you missed it. That's exactly what the disciples are asking in this moment. The question that they ask about Jesus when it comes to this parable is not, is not what did you mean by this? Like help us understand the story. Rather, it's this kind of implication here where they're going, can you explain that? Like, what was that all about, Jesus? Like, what are you up to? What are you doing? Jesus, this could have been like your Iron Man moment, that you could have stood before everybody, and you could have stood up, and you could have said, listen, I've heard all of the speculation that's out there that maybe I'm the Messiah, and the truth of the matter is, I am the Christ. Boom, right? The crowd goes wild in this moment. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus tells them a story. And that's the way that we're to understand verse 9. Like, Jesus, what are you up to? What are you doing? What was that all about? You missed it, man. And Jesus answers them in verse 10. He says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables. So that they see... Seeing, they may not see. And hearing, they may not understand. Now this is a big verse about the sovereignty of God and and his sovereignty in the process of salvation. And we believe in the sovereignty of God. We trust in the sovereignty of God. And Jesus looks out at his 12 disciples and he says to them, I didn't miss an opportunity. You missed the points. And he begins to explain to them what this is all about. He reveals to them what's going on here. And he looks at them and he says, look, this isn't isn't some coming out party where I'm declaring that I'm the Messiah, the Savior. It's not some morality story where there's a point for you to learn to be a better person. That this parable is about hearing and receiving the knowledge of the gospel. That's what this parable is about. It's about hearing and receiving the knowledge of the gospel. It's about hearing and yet not hearing, seeing and yet not seeing. It's about those people who, who think that they've heard, yet they haven't really heard. He explains this further in verse 11. Now the parable is this, he says. The seed is the word of God, and the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved." And the ones in the rocks are are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no roots. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who are hearing the word. Hold it fast and, and honest and good hearts and bear fruit with patience. It's a story that's that's pretty direct and easy to understand. At, at least we would think so. Jesus says there's this farmer and he's out sowing seed. And, and as he sows seed, he's, he's throwing it or sowing it into different types of soil. Now, we get this, don't we? Like, like, you don't have to be a farmer to understand what's going on here. Anybody who's tried to take care of a lawn, anybody who's who's grown a garden, anybody who's tried to keep a house plant alive knows this reality, that success is determined by the soil. Everybody knows that. That when we throw seed into a path, that doesn't make sense. When you throw seed into rocks where it has no water to grow, that doesn't make sense. When you throw seed into thistles that, that are overtaken with weeds, that doesn't make any sense. But when you sow seed into good soil, now that makes sense. Because that's where plants grow. That's that's where fruit is born. Now, in the story, in the story, the sower, the farmer, is ultimately Jesus. That's who we understand in this story. But but even bigger than that, it's anyone who's who's casting the word of God into people's life. It's anybody who's sharing the good news of Jesus, the life and the death, and ultimately the resurrection of Jesus, that he came and he died for our sins so that we might have life eternal with God. Anybody who's casting that seed, that's who the sower is in this story. And the point of the parable isn't that we should should, uh, sow seed more strategically. That's not what Jesus is talking about. The the real point of the the parable is that the soil should be more receptive. In other words, he says there's different kinds of hearing of people like there are different kinds of soil. That there's different kinds of hearing where we receive the gospel just like there's different kinds of, of sowing or soil that we put seed into. Jesus says when it comes to the first soil, it represents people who, who think that they have the word of truth, but the devil snatches it away. That, that the word dies before it even gets out the door. Like it's, it's gone that quickly. It's gone in a moment. And then he points us to, to the second soil, and he says the second soil really represents a person who, who thinks they have the word of truth and true spiritual life and joy. But the reality is is that they have no root that, that sustains them. They have no root to, to sustain them in the hard times when, when the trials of life come, that their faith can be categorized or, or described as superficial enthusiasm. And that that enthusiasm wanes when trials come into their life. And Jesus warns us that, that there might be people who, who look like they believe, and these people might look like they believe for a long season. But when the trials of life come, the loss of a loved one, a loss of a job, relationship fire, whatever it may be, when trial hits, the superficial enthusiasm fades. Now, if you need an example of, of someone that this might be, you have to look no further than the disciples, the 12 disciples of Jesus, and specifically that of Peter, That for three years, Peter walked with Jesus. He heard the teachings. He saw the miracles. That he was one of the disciples who was the most enthusiastic for Jesus. But in the moment of trial, when hardship came, when Jesus goes to the cross, that Peter is confronted by a little girl. And so she says to him, aren't you one of the disciples that walked with Jesus? Jesus. And in that moment, all of the enthusiasm, all of of the excitement that Peter lived his life with fades in that moment. And he says, no, you have the wrong person. It's not me. Thankfully, in Peter's life, we see redemption later on in his story where he truly gets it and understands it. The third soil that that Jesus speaks about is the person who, who thinks they have the word of God but, but when the riches and pleasures of this world come they what they think they have isn't actually there. They fail to, to bear fruits. It's a hearing that happens but, but as soon as fame or riches or pleasures begin to enter in that all of a sudden there's this competing spot in their life where Jesus should be. Again, if you needed a an example of of this kind of person, you have to look, again, no further than the 12 disciples of Jesus. Just look at at Judas Iscariot. That Judas, just like Peter, walked with Jesus for three years. That Judas saw the miracles, he heard the teachings. And yet in Judas's moments, he gives all of that up for 30 pieces of silver. He gives it all up for the fame and the fortune of that moment in time. And he sells Jesus out to the religious leaders that ultimately lead to Jesus' crucifixion. And under the shame and the guilt, Judas ends his own life. Listen, when it comes to these three soils, we all know people who are like one of these soils. In fact, this might be the story of your life. One of these three soils may be the very story of your life. That you're a well-meaning person who's heard the truth, but, but your heart wasn't ready to receive it. For whatever reason, your heart wasn't able to truly trust what was being revealed to you. But Jesus doesn't just leave us there. He actually takes us to a fourth soil. And he says, when it comes to this fourth soil, it's it's a good soil. And it's it's a soil that when seed is planted into it, that a plant begins to grow and, and fruit comes from it. That this is a person who hears the gospel of Jesus and receives it with saving faith. The type of faith that's not superficial. The type of faith that doesn't grow weary when the pleasures and the riches of this world come in. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he goes, here's the thing, boys. Like, pay attention to this. That you think that the crowd that's gathered today is all coming for the same reason. You think they're all here for the same reason, that they're gathering together for the same reason, but you're missing it. They're not all here for the same reason. They're hearing with different kinds of ears, their level of commitment when it comes to their heart, it's not all the same. And he looks at those of us today. And he, has, and he looks us directly in the eyes. And while we want to believe that when we gather together to lift God's name and worship and to sing and to do things in the community, that we're all here for the same reason, but Jesus says, check yourself, because at the end of the day, sadly, that's not the case. So that comes in verse 18 when Jesus says, take care then how you hear. Take care how you hear. In other words, Jesus looks us straight in the eye and he says, why did you show up today? Why did you tune in? Why did you gather? Why did you show up? What's the motivation of your hearts in this moment? Take care how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given to them. Now he's pointing all the way back to verse 8. To those who have hear- ears, let them hear. Why? Because whoever hears, more will be given to them. If you have spiritual ears, then Jesus says, God the Father will give you understanding. And that verse, understanding, we find, or that understanding we find in verse 15, that that understanding ultimately leads to fruits that whoever has more will be given. That's the fruit, that we will bear fruit in this life. It's an illustration that Jesus uses over and over again in his his teachings, that good trees bear good fruit, that if you are, are someone who's living in Jesus, then your life will bear it out in ways that everybody will see, that your fruit will be visible. But take care then how you live. And from the one who has not. Even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. That in this moment, Jesus is is referring to the other three soils. And the failure to hear with a receptive heart. And and in each one of those soils, there's there's this hearing of the word that happens. But in each case, what what they think they have a hold of is not really there. It's, It's taken away from them. And so the question then becomes the drive of our heart. And Jesus looks at us, every single one of us, and he says, why, why did you come today? Like what brought you to this moment? How well is your heart hearing? So let's get practical. Some self-examination is, is in order here. That Jesus says the level of receptivity, that there is a level of receptivity that defeats the evil in this world. That there's a level of receptivity, that when the trials come, your faith remains. That there's a level of receptivity that when fame and fortune and wealth come flooding into our lives, that we still look to Jesus. But Jesus turns it around. And he says there's also a level of receptivity that when the hard times come, when riches come, when evil strikes, that instead of running towards Jesus, we run as fast as we can away from him. Jesus says, what kind of heart do you have? What kind of heart do you have today? And the way that we answer that question reveals whether we're really ready to listen to the word that God has for us in this life. And so as we enter into communion, what I want to do is spend just a few moments praying that our heart is ready to hear what God has to say to us in this world, whether that be right now or sometime this week or sometime down the next couple of weeks, that as we approach communion together, that God would speak to us in a way that we would hear and that we would see and that we would understand the great truths. That's the kind of hearing that God wants for us. So I'm just going to ask for it. So if you would bow wherever you're at, let's pray together. Father, Lord, we come into your presence. And God, we pray, Lord, for the fourth soil kind of heart the lord that's receptive the 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 soil that's ready God that if we look at this parable lord we understand that that when it comes to, to throwing seed onto a path that that doesn't make sense that we understand when it when it comes to throwing seed into rocks that doesn't make sense that when it comes to throwing seed into weeds that that doesn't make sense and yet lord oftentimes That's the level of receptivity in our hearts for when you speak to us. And so, Lord, my prayer today is that you would help prepare us well. Lord, that you would help prepare our hearts, the soil of our hearts, to hear what you have for us to hear. Lord, and for some today, Lord, you may be whispering, you may be whispering in their ears that you are God, that you are their Savior. That you came and and died for them, so that they might have life. Lord, for others, you you may be whispering in their in their souls today that the path that they're going down on this life leads to destruction and heartbreak and harm. To run away from that and and to run back in, into your arms, Lord. For others, Lord, you may be whispering into their ears, not to chase the pleasures and the riches of this world that that ultimately will leave us dry, but to come to the fount of, of everlasting water. God, the only way that we hear those truths in our lives is to make sure that our heart is receptive today. And so Lord, I pray for that kind of hearing in our lives. Lord, I pray for that as we approach the table of communion today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.